welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. From the latest archery equipment and expert shooting advice to proven bowhunting tactics and the sport's biggest personalities, we've got you covered. Now, here's your host, Editor Christian Bird. All right, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. We are the voice of bowhunting, and as always, we're thrilled that you've taken some time to be with us today to talk a little bit of Western bowhunting adventure with an Eastern guy. I've got back and better than ever, uh, my buddy, Peterson's Bowhunting contributor, Clint Casper, the Ohio whitetail deer and turkey slaying master. Clint, welcome back to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. Man, white tail, deer, and turkey slang master. Well, I'll tell you what, I, you know, I, I need to hang out with you more. I mean, you're about as good of a self-confidence booster as it's going to get, my man. Man, and I'm, I'm happy to be back. Always happy to pump your tires. And I'll tell you what, after that show that we did a couple weeks ago, um, you deserve it. I, that was a absolutely spectacular show and we call that one the casper chronicles part one and for those of you who have not heard part one of our discussion you're going to want to go back and uh, absolutely download that episode and give it a listen because clint dishes out um some of his uh, methodologies and philosophies when it comes to fooling those giant ohio whitetails that he's gotten to be pretty well known for and pretty accomplished on uh, as well as uh, some of those eastern long beards that you have running around over there and we had such a good time talking last time clint that uh, we decided we we're going to have to come back and do it again and talk a little western bow hunting so that's going to be the topic of today's show and i know that you are already planning some some western adventures for 2019 Oh yeah, tag season's upon us, and I've been—I uh, usually start around December, January, kind of lining out, uh, you know, tags and figuring out how many points I've got and, and applying, and and you know, all that stuff really takes off once you hit like February, March, and April. So yeah, I'm kind of right in the middle of of all that, and, and uh, the anticipation is high, my friend. The the what ifs and what could be's on what tags I could draw and what units I might be able to get into. And then there's always the, well, if I don't draw, what over-the-counter tag can I grab? And so, yeah, the wheels are constantly turning and grinding right now. There's, there's always smoke coming from my ears, I feel like, around this time of the year. So tell me about what's on your wish list for 2019. Where have you applied? What are you hoping to go and do if, uh, if the drawing gods smile upon you? Well, I'm going to cash in my points in Colorado. Um, I will definitely have a high country um, velvet buck tag. Um, this will be my third time. Yeah, third time in four years. I've been hunting zero point and over-the-counter units, chasing uh, big velvet muleys around. Um, so this is, I'm, I'm going to cash in this year. My points I've saved up. Um, I should get in a really, really good unit. Uh, my second choice unit's really good, so I'm I'm definitely I, I'm going to get in one of those two units for sure. Uh, I think my odds are ninety on ninety percent on one, and I think ninety five on the other. So I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> it would really have to be you know a bad bad luck for me to not get drawn on one of those. Um, so pretty much going to have one of those tags, and then um, going to hunt um, an over the counter elk unit in Idaho which is going to be new to me. I hunted a different unit last year. I'm going to head a little more north this year than where I was last year. 
um, a little bit more up towards Montana. I will buy a over-the-counter um, mule deer tag on that hunt as well because it is some high country stuff, and I'm, I'm really anticipating getting into some bucks too. And then that tag will be good for late season. Um, the rut hunts down in Idaho are, are just fabulous. I mean, it's, it's you got cold and snow, and those bucks are just going crazy come the end of November. So that tag will roll over, and, and I'm able to bow hunt on that tag uh, even during the rifle hunt. Um, and then in October, I'm going to have a Utah, um, a Utah tag. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be on the, uh, the Wasatch front. Um, I got a buddy that invited me to come out and do some hunting with him in October. So that's going to be, a uh, something new to me. I've never hunted muleys in October. Um, a lot of that's going to be secondary living after they've kind of been pressured and the food's all gone up top. They start migrating down and, um, it's, it's going to be a different style of hunt for me, but I'm super excited to get out there. Never hunted uh, Utah yet uh, for muleys, so pumped for that. And then I'll probably finish the year off uh, well that or start the new year. I guess it depends on how you look at it. It'll probably be into 2020. I'm going to go down to Arizona and, and hunt uh, coos deer probably with a couple good buddies and javelina. So that's going to kind of spell out uh, my, my Western adventures. Um, you know, those tags are pretty much almost all going to be kind of guaranteed deals. So, yeah, I'm going to be busy, but... Uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. I, I gotta get a, I gotta get a, a, a good muley killed. I've been, been back to full draw a couple times and, and have been so close to a couple giants, but have just not, have not got to release an arrow yet. So man, I'm, I'm super hungry. Uh, Colorado, I'll be solo for, oh, anywhere from 10 to 12 days. Uh, pretty much I just have decided I'm not going to come home until I kill one. So yeah, so that's, that's always fun. I look forward to those solo hunts. I really like, uh, I really like that solo deal. Uh, it's, it's, not everybody likes it, but I've really grown to, to love those solo, those uh, solo adventures. Yeah, man, you have got a a busy uh, plate, a full plate for 2019. That's for sure. You make my my Western hunting schedule is is uh, nothing compared to yours. I've got uh, I'm going to head out to Montana. Actually, I guess I'm all Montana all the time this year. I'm supposed to be going out to Montana in April uh, with a buddy in my April. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? And, I was going to say, man, what are you, what are you hunting in April? Spring we're, bears. Spring we're bears, get, huh? We're getting an early start on the pronghorn season. No, I meant August. Uh, in August, I'm going to go out to Montana with a buddy of mine and hunt some public land pronghorns. And oh, then, yeah, that'll be good. Hunt. And then, uh, then I'm actually going to go back in September uh kind of in a similar situation to you i've i've got a few points there i've been trying to draw a particular elk tag the last several years and haven't gotten it but hopefully this year i'm going to draw that tag and i'm going to go out there for an elk hunt in eastern montana if i don't draw the elk tag um it's almost guaranteed that i'll get a a a big game combo uh general license there which would allow me to uh, hunt mule deer in the same area so if i don't draw that elk permit i probably just turn that hunt into a spot and stock muley hunt and uh, do that so those are my two western trips for this year so i think that's like two for me and uh, i don't know how many you mentioned i think you had at least about five that you went over so so you know you're getting after it but uh you know that's what Clint Casper does. I mean, you're uh, you're an international uh, man of mystery when it comes to traveling with the bow, and um, you know it's interesting. You wrote an article uh, for our 
uh, June issue, which we're just working on now, called Adventure Bow Hunting. And I don't yep. remember. I didn't use the subhead you had. You were like adventure bow hunting and why you should do it, and that's not exactly what it says. I can't remember off the top of my head exactly what I how I put it uh, in the issue, but uh, you know, you mentioned some things even just while you were talking a minute ago about you know this is going to be a new experience for me. You know, specifically you talked about Utah. You know, haven't hunted mule deer this time. Maybe haven't hunted them in that kind of habitat. Um, that's a big thing that you talked about as far as, especially being an Eastern guy and why you like going out West is, of course, it's a change of scenery. Of course, it's a chance to hunt, you know, animals that you can't hunt in Ohio, but it also has a lot to do for you, not just the adventure of the trip itself, but the things that you learn during the trip and then how those things translate back home, you know, when you're hunting more familiar species and more familiar places. Oh yeah, absolutely. I've, uh, I've taken so many, um, things that I've learned out West and brought back home and vice versa. I mean, there's, you know, there's, uh, there's been times on these Western hunts where I've had to almost go back to my Eastern roots and think, okay, now if I was back home and I was hunting public or private in say Kentucky or Ohio or the Midwest, I mean, that's generally where I've done all my whitetail hunting is the Midwest, you know, where, how, how would I look at this or what, what would I be doing right now? And I mean, you know, you find yourself coming back to that and then from hunting out West, it's so much, you know, uh, the Western States are just so big and, and they're so vast. So you've got to, in my opinion, you've got to really learn how to break down the unit you're in or break down the piece of public you're on. And you start to really look for things that'll help you, you know, um, funnel game to you or, or places that are going to, are going to, you know, be able to make game be present where you're at, because you could go into an area and realistically, if there's not good elk habitat there, or there's not saddles leading from one basin up over to another, or something that's making elk stay there, you can hunt seven days and not see an elk. I mean, I, I was on a mule deer hunt my second year in Colorado by myself, and I went two and a half days without seeing a mule deer. I mean, um, now, were there contributing factors to that besides just the fact that I didn't know what I was doing? Absolutely. There was a, a, a really bad weather front come in. There was a ton of pressure three days leading up to that with hikers and bikers. And like the last weekend before all the kids went back to school, that didn't help me. But, you know, there's just a lot of things that, you know, realistically, um, you know, added up to that being a tough hunt. And if I wasn't able to move and kind of, you know, think, okay, uh, when I was hunting public ground in Kentucky, I was in a similar situation back when I was younger and, and I had to move, I had to change and go clear to the other side of the unit to get back into deer. And that's, that's what I had to do in Colorado. I had to totally pack up camp and move camp two or three more times till I got back into deer. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, you just learn so much out there that you can then bring back home or vice versa, take what you learned at home and use it out there. And it's just, it's just funny how they kind of fit together, but yeah, I've just fallen in love with, with that, that big country out there, but you, you definitely have to learn how to break it down and, and uh, the terrain features and whatnot are, are so critical out there, you know, being able to, to read, read maps and read sign, you know, like on your phone, I use Onyx Hunt, you know, like a, that's like a religion to me. I look at that thing every day, I feel like, or Google Earth, I'm on that constantly too, man. It's a good thing Google doesn't charge me per minute how many uh, 
the amount of minutes that I'm looking at that thing, looking at units and trying to scout from online is, uh, is it'd be kind of mind blowing to some. Yeah. Let's, um, let's look and kind of walk through the process of how you plan your Western hunts. Obviously you've got to be nimble. You have to adapt on the fly, but you have a plan going in. How, how long have you been going out West Clint to hunt? When did you start doing this? Uh, my first big, like out of, well, the first big out of state hunt I ever went on, went on, I went to, I did a drop camp and I, um, it was a, uh, I dropped in on a float plane up in Saskatchewan, Canada and uh, on a bear hunt with three buddies. And that was a nine day trip in 2012. That kind of really opened my eyes up to, wow, there is so much, um, adventure to be had on these hunts that are like out of my comfort zone. So then the following year I went and hunted mountain lion in New Mexico, 2013, 2014. I was in the Gila mountains and shot my first bull elk. So after the mountain lion and the elk hunt, I literally said, okay, I have got to figure out how to do this efficiently and effectively on my own. And this is what I want to do. I, I, I want to have a couple trips every year where I come out West. I, I just, I fell in love with the scenery. I fell in love with the big, the big open country. Just, I, I just fell in love with the whole, um, aura that comes from Western hunting. And I said, okay, I got to figure out how do I do this every year? So I started applying in States for points. I started trying to figure out what States have over the counter tags that I can actually get every year. And I just started to basically simply put together a game plan of, okay, how can I add in a hunt or two or three every year that's out West, still be able to have, you know, work and still be able to, you know, raise kids and, and hunt whitetails and, and not, not leave my roots, but I just, I wanted my life to include multiple Western hunting trips. And I wanted to write about it and I wanted to take pictures and I'm like, man, this is me right here. You know, this, this is, this is Clint. I mean, I love deer and turkeys, grew up chasing them, but man, oh man, that Western spot and stocking glassing style of hunting. I mean, I just feel like I was built for that. I, I just, I absolutely just fell in love with it. Yeah. It, so, uh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so obviously a lot of us have the, you know, sort of the feel the same pull. Um, right. You, you know, yep. it's no, it's no secret that, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but you know it's probably ninety percent of all the bow hunters in the country live, you know, in the eastern half of the country, or you right. know, eighty eighty percent for sure. And so there's a lot of us that travel out there, but you know, there's a lot more who who don't, you know, who have never been out. Oh yeah, it, yep. it it can definitely be daunting. You know, it's funny. Um, Eddie, uh, who was it? Eddie, Eddie Claypool, who's one of our field editors, he had commented on it. I think it was somebody else who started the original post. Oh, it was John Silks. He does our boat testing. He's my gear testing editor. John posted something on Facebook over this past weekend about how Colorado just changed things, and I guess it's $100 now just to apply for a point because you've got to buy right. some kind of a license. And, yep. you know, he was kind of moaning about the fact that things keep getting more expensive, 
out west when it comes yep. to how much it costs just to apply for a tag and yep. the, the number of points that it takes to draw these tags keeps going up and up and up because here's the thing right uh, you know let's say you've been applying for 10 years and you're like oh man this is great you know now i've got 10 points you know next year i'll have 11 year after that 12 i'm going to have all these points i'm going to get that tag i want the problem is is there's like 8,000 other guys that have been applying for just as long. And so when you started applying for that tag, it might have taken like eight points to draw that tag. Now it takes like 17 points to draw that same tag. And you're never, yep. you, you, you look at the numbers and you start doing the math and you realize, I'm never going to get there. You're never going to catch it. You're never yep. going to catch it. And so there's yep. literally places where you can't draw a tag. And it's easy, Clint, to get kind of PO'd about that, to be honest oh, yeah. with you. But yep. the good news is, as you're demonstrating, and maybe you can talk about this a little bit and give people, you know, specific recommendations. Obviously, not not the GPS coordinates of your your honey hole, but right. there's right. place there's pl still places where you can go and get tags every single year, and it might not yep. be the the greatest unit in the entire world, but you still can kill stuff there because you've done it and, and there's adventure to be had there. So talk to me a little bit for people who are listening, who are like, man, I'd love to go do what this guy's talking about, but I just don't know how to get started. I don't have a lot of money. Um, you know, what do you tell somebody who, who's like, man, I, I want to do that, but I don't know how to get started. So, yeah. So, I mean, the first thing that I think a lot of, you know, people have to understand is that, you know, you don't have to play the points game if you don't want to. Um, Idaho, for example, over-the-counter elk tags, go to Walmart, over-the-counter mule deer tags. And I mean good, like fantastic tags. I mean, I hunted on an over-the-counter elk tag that I bought at Walmart, and three days later last year uh, was chasing around a 390-plus-inch bull. I mean, that's, that's the bull of 10 lifetimes, a straight 6x6 six six that would have pushed the 400-inch mark on a tag that anyone could have went to Walmart and bought the day before. I mean, you know, uh, one of my, you know, uh, Colorado, same thing. There are, I've hunted two zero point units that you can draw with zero points that they are basically an over the counter unit every single year. And I've been back to full draw on a 180 plus for sure buck and a, probably a pushing 200 inch buck, two different units, two different years in Colorado by myself, not even really knowing honestly what and the heck I was even doing because I was still such a rookie at Western hunting and was getting into, I mean, mega giant bucks. But like I said, on an over-the-counter tag. So a lot of it is people have to understand that, yes, the premier units that are, you know, uh, they're managed and there's, there's going to be probably more what you would call quality bucks in that might take these points. Yeah, sure. It would be great to save up points for that. But in my opinion, a guy's better off to hunt these units that you can hunt every year, every other year and really learn them and figure them out because every unit's got big bucks in it. Every unit's got big bulls in it. It's just some units have more, some have less, some give out more tags, some give out less, but every unit's going to have, you know, the size of game that, that everyone's after. I mean, it's not like, a 10 point unit in Colorado has 200 inch muleys, but that zero point unit doesn't. No, not at all. I mean, there's a big, I'm a firm believer in Colorado, for example, in every unit, there's a giant mule deer, every unit, every year. I don't care what part of the state, if you hunted that unit long enough, 
it will stumble into good bucks and at least a one or two mega giants. Every unit's got one. But like I said, some units might have seven or eight. So your odds go up because there's more, but still even, but you know, are you willing to wait 20 years and only hunt Colorado one time? See, for me, no way. I want to hunt every year. Every year I'm going to hunt Idaho. Every year I'm going to hunt Colorado. You know, I mean, those are just states that the over-the-counter tags are just, they're, you know, they're easy to gain. You've got places like North Dakota, South Dakota. Um, you know, you can get tags for mule deer there that are basically, you know, over-the-counter or easy draws. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of places that if you do a little research, you know, you can find uh, Arizona. Arizona has some absolutely fantastic late-season rut-style hunts that are over-the-counter, and that's for coos deer or mule deer. Uh, a good buddy of mine went down this year and shot a fantastic old buck on, like, the sixth or seventh day of his hunt um, on an over-the-counter deal and, and was able to draw a, uh, it was a lottery javelina tag. So he shot javelina and killed a mule deer all on public, all for probably under 500 bucks. I mean, super cheap hunt, super fun. Got to look at a ton of deer. You know, so I would tell people, don't get caught up and feel like you're behind the eight ball. Oh my gosh, I'm a foodie. I want to go on an elk hunt, but I've never applied for points. That's okay. There are plenty of places you can go and get into great quality and great numbers of elk on an over-the-counter tag. It just takes a little more research, and you've got to be a little bit more creative whenever you're out there hunting. You know, like I said, you're probably going to run into maybe more people. Maybe there's less numbers of game, but there's more people. So, you know, there's just little factors like that that are going to maybe make or break your hunt that you got to be prepared for. But, yeah, definitely you don't want to be discouraged because, like me, for example, I mean, I've got four points right now in Colorado, and I'm cashing them in. And honestly, I will probably never build more than one or two points for mule deer in Colorado ever again because the one and two point units that are in that state, oh, they're fabulous. Those archery tens and those units, they're, they're, they're great. And even like the zero point units. I mean, like I said, I didn't even know what I was doing. I mean, this is my first two years in Colorado, and I stumbled into Giants. And did I get them killed? No. And a lot of that was just lack of knowledge. But I mean, I was at full draw within bow range two different years with giant bucks in front of me and just didn't have clear shots and wasn't able to get shots fired. But still, I mean, you know, proofs in the pudding. I mean, if I could do it without really knowing what the heck I was doing, so could the next guy. I mean, it's just a matter of getting out there and getting after it. Yeah. And uh, Colorado, you mentioned, you know, a bunch there and that's, that's a great destination for any first timer because there is there's a lot of territory that's over the counter yep. for elk, and yeah, yep. you you can get deer tags uh, pretty easily there as well. Uh, I'll tell you another thing not to look over. Um, you know, you didn't really talk about it too much. I mentioned it briefly, but uh, don't overlook pronghorns if you're a first time Western hunter because oh, for sure, you know when it comes to everywhere from the Dakotas to Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, um, yep. all the Utah. way down, you know, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, even western Kansas. Most of those yep. pronghorn tags are very easy to get and they're very inexpensive. I think the Montana pronghorn tags that we're looking at this year are like 200 bucks for a non-resident. Yep, 200 bucks. 
and you can't bucks. you can't beat that. And you know, like nope. you know, you know, like seventy percent of Montana or maybe more is public land. Like that, and oh, almost yeah. almost that entire state is public ground. So finding you know finding places to hunt is not really an issue out there, um, nope. which is. You know, that's a big switch for those of us who live in the East. I mean, most guys that we talk to here, you know, I'm in Pennsylvania, you're Ohio. You know, what's the biggest challenge? Most guys are going to tell you the biggest challenge is finding a decent place to hunt. And by decent place, they mean, you know, a 50-acre woodlot that's got some deer running around in it. (laughs) You know, you go out there, like you say, and that's another thing we ought to talk about. You know, you go out there and you literally may have, you know five or six hundred thousand acres all around you that you can hunt and that can be intimidating oh yeah yeah and you know you, you bring up montana um i one of my really well two of my really good friends brian barney who a lot of people will know from eastman's um and uh his one of his best friends dan hebron who i've got to be really close with i hunt with those guys every year i've done it for the last couple of years in fact I go out almost every spring and hunt spring bears with them with our bows during their spring bear season. I forgot to mention that hunt, but this May I'll be doing that. I forgot that one. That was one I forgot. Shame on me. But anyways, I've hunted antelope on that 900 series uh, archery tag the last two years. I killed one in October two years ago, and I killed a giant last year on the last day of my hunt. Um, after I got back from Idaho, we went to Montana and, and antelope hunted with Brian for a few days on some public in Eastern Montana. And I'll tell you what, antelope hunting, if you want to break into Western hunting and, and you really want to see what spot and stock's all about, go hunt antelope. I mean, I have learned more from hunting antelope with those two guys in two seasons than I could have learned in 10 seasons by myself hunting mule deer or elk because if you can fool an antelope and get within bow range, not even kill one, if you can just get within bow range of an antelope, you have already accomplished something that most people could not do. I mean, they are as keen and weary as it comes. They're usually in big groups. A lot of times you're, you know, you're using a little one foot divot in a ditch to crawl through cactus or, I mean, you know, it's just, it is such a fun, challenging hunt. And if you can get one of those suckers killed with a bow, I mean, you've honestly really done something and I can't tell you how many stocks you can get in a day. And I mean, the more stocks you can get, the more confidence and just the more knowledge you can gain from what works and what doesn't and what you can get away with and what you can't. I mean, antelope, honestly, in my opinion, might be the funnest animal out there to bow hunt out West. I mean, it's, I absolutely love when I get to go out there um, and hunt public with those guys. And this year I'll probably apply for that tag and I'm sure I'll get it again. I don't know if I'm going to be able to fit that in my schedule or not. I really hope I can um, because that is, I mean, antelope, number one, they taste phenomenal. That's probably my favorite wild game meat is backstraps off antelope. Um, Absolutely love them. And then as far as hunting goes, they're as challenging as it gets. If you can kill one of them, like I said, with a bow, you literally can kill anything, and I'll stand behind that 100%. Yeah, you got to have some terrain if you're going to stalk those antelope. That's one thing. It's, uh, it can be really tough if, if you don't have any cover, and even if you do, it's, it's a challenge. Uh, that, that really is a, a fun hunt. Actually, what tag I'm going to go on out there this year is one of those 900 tags. So yep. um, I'm looking forward to oh, it, man. I- 
Oh man, you'll have such a blast. Oh gosh, yeah, that you'll you'll get into a lot of bucks and I mean there's just Montana just has such nice quality bucks out there and I mean just you know big populations and I mean it's just oh yeah that's that's a super fun hunt and there's so much public out there and then they've got the you know they've got the sign in uh, the sign in walk on units where you're able to you know sign a little card and and basically you know farmers and ranchers can sign their their land up I think they call them BLM units and they let you basically hunt their they turn their farm or their ranch into public hunting for that year. And you sign in and sign out and you're able to hunt and it's like public. And, um, Oh yeah. I mean, there's just a ton of opportunity in Montana. I mean, that might be actually my favorite state overall because it's just such a pretty big state. Uh, it's, it's so pretty and big and there's just so much to hunt. My God, they got antelope and you got bears, you got bucks, you got bulls. I mean, there's just, you know, there's like everything there to hunt, uh, goats and sheep. And I mean, they got giant Rocky Mountain, you know, the, the big horns there are just unreal big, but you know, Montana, man, that, that holds a special place in my heart. And I always love flying into, uh, flying into Bozeman and then heading, uh, you know, heading towards my buddy's place and stuff. Uh, I actually drove out there two years ago, it took me 28 and a half hours from my house to get to my buddy Brian's doorstep. That was a, uh, that was an adventure just in itself, Kristen, just to get out there. <laughs> I bet it was. Uh, yeah, I drove out uh, <clears throat> to Colorado a few years ago with some friends for uh, a DIY elk hunt, and it was like 30 and a half hours each way. That was long. We actually said on the way home, um, never again. <laughs> I'm never I'm never driving all the way out there again. I mean, just for me, I know got a lot of guys do it. Now, I'm getting on a plane and fly to Denver <laughs> and drive from there, you know what I mean? But yep. uh Oh yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's a long drive. It's a long drive. Anyway, uh how, once you've picked a species and a state, how do you go about you know, narrowing down the area. Talk about your process for figuring out, hey, this is where I'm going to start when I get get out there. Yeah, so uh, over the years, I mean, I've just kind of learned to use every tool that I can gain. Um, one of the biggest game changers is definitely Onyx Hunt. I mean, I'm in, you know, that software, being able to use it on your phone or on your computer and, and being able to kind of start to look and pick apart some of these units that you're kind of thinking about maybe getting into, um, narrowing down kind of the terrain, like, you know, early season mule deer, I love to hunt high country. So I'm looking for units that's going to have high country. Um, so, you know, th that, that Onyx software is huge. And then another one that I just started using last year, which is like a game changer is, um, go hunt. And what go hunt is, is basically it is, it's software that you sign up for just like onyx it's like a one-year membership and what they do is they narrow down basically you can go in and say okay i want to hunt um say colorado mule deer i've got four points i'm a non-resident i'm looking for 170 class bucks or better um i want my draw odds to be 60 percent or better and it'll it'll literally spit you out 99% guaranteed of accuracy spit you out, say 12 units. And then from those 12 units, you can start looking. So like for me personally, I don't like units that are close to big cities because a lot of out of state guys want to fly into a city and within an hour be at their hunting destination. So I've learned from a lot of other guys um, that are really successful out West. 
I try to stay away from like big cities. Um, I try to get, you know, a kind of away from where a lot of populated areas are. It seems like that, that gets me into, you know, more animals with less riffraff, less, less people to deal with. The pressure's not as bad. Um, so kind of once I get stuff like that narrowed down as far as what I want to hunt, whether it's high country, maybe it's desert, you know, I start looking for a unit or two that's away from cities. And then I start picking the units apart. Like I said, using Onyx and really looking at, you know, okay, this unit's got a ton of hidden features and there's not a bunch of trails like two track trails where you can get a four wheeler. You know, some States allow you to use four wheelers and razors. Some States you can use horses. Some States it's only walk in. So that stuff all plays a factor too, because like I said, you're trying to keep kind of away from people as much as possible because pressure is a factor. I mean, on public ground, if you pick a unit that's littered with trails and littered with, you know, four-wheeler access, okay, yeah, it's going to be easy for you to get into camp. But just remember, it's easy for everybody else to get into camp too. And if you can't get away from that pressure, you know, that can make for a tough hunt. So you kind of got to have a fine line. I try to find that, I try to flirt with that line of, what unit can I get in there a little ways and then park a truck or, or, or park an ATV. And then from there, you know, really trek in deep and, and get camp set up. And like I said, you know, I, I just try to, to, to look at factors that's going to help me, not hurt me. So, you know, that's kind of my philosophy on picking a unit. And then once I narrow down to, you know, kind of, okay, this is kind of where I'm thinking I really like this unit. Then that's the unit I'm going to apply for. And I'm going to have two or three backups where if I don't draw my first choice, I can hopefully draw a second or a third, or maybe it's an over-the-counter unit that I know for a fact I'm going to get. So once I kind of have that unit, I'm going to pick it apart, you know, online all spring and summer. I mean, once I know, okay, this is where I'm going to land, I'm going to be on Google Earth, I'm going to be on Onyx, I'm going to be doing research online. I'd love to say that I can fly out and scout on foot all these units before I hunt, but I just don't have enough time. Um, this year I probably will get out to Colorado for a few days and, and get a scouting trip in just cause I am burning all my points and I'm in, I'm going to be in a really good unit. I really want to have a super, super good game plan. And my time is going to allow me to do that this year with all the extra comp time I got built up. But a lot of years I've got to do all my scouting uh, online and I've got to try to find, you know, where I want to camp and, and how I want to access ridges and vantage points and glassing points. And I kind of have to keep that all in my head, you know, by looking at, you know, Onyx and Google earth and, and just kind of jotting notes down for myself and marking things on, on Onyx, you can mark waypoints and you can drop pins and you can, you know, so as I'm scouting on it, if I see something, I'm like, Oh man, this could be a really good vantage point. I can drop a little pin. So when I'm there, I can actually hit that pin and it'll take me to it. You know, I can, I can get there and get to that spot that I found online when I was at home. So that's, that's kind of my, you know, my process of getting spots narrowed down, kind of the factors I'm looking at. And and like I said, you know, the pressure factor and the big city factor and what kind of terrain do I want to hunt? And, you know, it's good to look at harvest success. It's good to look at the amount of tags given out each year. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a ton of factors that go into what makes a unit, you know, unique to me and one that I want to hunt. But, you know, when you narrow it down, it really comes down to just, you know, a couple of those units are going to really stand out in your mind. And and I kind of just go with my gut on a lot of that, you know, just, you know, oh man, for whatever reason, I always keep coming back to this unit, you know, that this unit just really has something about it that I'm I'm liking. And 
know, yeah, well, you, gotta kinda, you, you never know. And, yeah, you never know until you try, right? You got to start somewhere. Well, yeah. and, and, and that's, that's the magical thing about Western hunting is, I mean, you know, you're going to, you're going to take what you learn from unit to unit and year to year, but it's always going to be different because chances are like in Colorado, I mean, yeah, you could hunt the same zero point unit or like in Idaho, you could hunt a lot of those units every year on an over the counter tag, but there's going to be some years where you want to switch units or, or man, you know, I've hunted this unit two years in a row. I just don't like it. And you know, it's just not producing for me. I'm going to switch. And then you kind of got to start the process all over again. But for a guy like me, I love that though. I, I, I like trying to figure out and look at new areas and new units. And, and I, I kind of love the, the adventure and the, the mystery that comes with, you know, uh, looking at new units and scouting new units and hunting new units. And, you know, to me, that's all fun, but for the guys that want to find a unit and learn it and hunt it four or five years, like I said, in some of these States, I mean, you can do that. Idaho, you can hunt the same unit every year over the counter. Colorado's got over the counter units every year. You know, I mean, there's, there's tags in Montana. You could draw basically every year. I mean, it's just a matter of, you know, finding kind of what you want to do and kind of where your niche is at and then, you know, going with it. So when you go out to one of these states, do you usually have an area that you know you're going to go to the first day and where you're probably going to set up camp and you're going to hit the ground and scout that area? And, um, you know, obviously, if it doesn't go according to plan, you might change, but you've got a pretty good idea going in of what you want to try, right? So what I try to do is I use the rule of halves, which so basically like my rule of thumb is if I'm going to go on like a lot of my hunts, I try to do seven to 10 days and I do a lot of solo stuff. So on my hunts, if I'm going to hunt 10 days, I want five plans. I want a plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, a plan E. And why I do that is because almost never does plan A or B work out. I mean, it just very rarely are those spots that like the spots that I'm like, Oh man, those are hidden. Those are, those are, those are the spots. There's probably 300 other people that are saying that same thing. So your spots A and B, it seems like for me, almost hardly ever work. I mean, they're, 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 they're great spots, but they're also spots that other people are looking at. So then when you start going down your list, like if I'm, going to spend 10 days i want to be able to spend like two days on each one of those plans and if something's not panning out after day two i'm moving on to plan b i'm going to hunt that three day three and four if nothing's planning out i'm heading to plan c and i mean so the rule of halves is you know if i'm going to hunt say an eight to ten day hunt i want four or five game plans i want four or five different areas different spots i can camp you know, they might be clear on the other end of the unit where I got to completely pack out in my truck, drive clear around the mountain to the other side. And then, I mean, but those are my plans of, okay, if this plan fails, I will now go to this area. And you want to prepare yourself for failure just so that way, you know, when crap does hit the fan, you've already got backup plans and you already know, okay, there's a ton of hikers um, in this basin, I was not anticipating that, but if that did happen, I have plan B, I'm going to go to the other side of this big drainage in this hidden basin. And hopefully there's not a bunch of campers and hikers there. And so that's going to be my plan for the next two days. And I just try to always have like that next step already made in case I need it. 
And it kind of keeps me motivated and it, it takes away the factor of, oh crap, my plan A is not working out. Because I feel like a lot of guys, they have this master plan. They look at it all June, July, August. They get into a spot come the 1st of September and holy crap, there's 30 cars and trucks parked at the trailhead. Now what am I going to do? You know, now what am I going to do? And now you don't have a clear head. There's no game plan. Now you're scrambling. And this, you know, these hunts are supposed to be fun and, and you're supposed to enjoy yourself. You don't want to be scrambling, frantically trying to figure out what you're going to do now. So that's why I like to have, you know, like I said, the rule of half. And I want to have half as many plans as I do for the amount of days that I'm going to be there. Ten day hunt, I want five game plans, five solid concrete game plans of this doesn't pan out, I'm going to do this. If that doesn't pan out, I'm going to do that, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind of been my rule the last few years. And uh, honestly, I mean, it, it's really worked out. Last year, me and my buddy Dan, we moved camp four times in Idaho before we got into that big bull. I mean, we were running into hunters. We were running into guys on quads and four-wheelers. I mean, we, we had to go to, like, our plan C and D to get into the elk numbers that we needed and, and to get away from people. But it panned off. I mean, you know, we were, or I shouldn't say panned off, panned out. You know, we, we were able to get into a world-class six-by-six and hunt him the rest of the hunt. Didn't end up killing him, but still, had we not had those plans, that hunt could have honestly been a total disaster because there were way more people in there than what we had anticipated, like double or triple the amount. Yeah, so that really ties into two things because the amount of effort that's required to do what you just described, I mean, it's easy to say that, okay, we moved camp, you know, three times, four times, that's a physical and a mental grind to do that yeah. because yep. first of all you've got to come to the point in your mind where you're willing to say okay my plan sounded good in Ohio but it's pretty much crap here on the ground <laughs> and yeah. yeah give up on it because it, it's hard it's hard to give up on your plan once you're out there isn't yep. it there, there's, there's a part oh, of you it, it, you know you, you you struggle internally you're like should i dig my heels in and like just go at this and beat my head against this wall or do i cut and run and then once you've made that decision to actually have the the mental and physical fortitude to follow through with it and to not get discouraged when plan B doesn't work and then move to plan C and when plan C doesn't work to move to plan D talk about the process and staying focused and engaged and how do you maintain your enthusiasm when you're just grinding and grinding and grinding and you're not seeing any results yeah so I think you could sum it all up honestly in in two words and I mean um mental toughness I mean you you know, you dream about this hunt all year. Uh, you get your tag, you figure out what unit you're going to be, say, the first week of May. You know, okay, I drew this tag and this unit. You know, so you're, you're, you're spending four or five months. You're planning for this hunt. You're, you're, you're training. You're working out. You're shooting. You're getting your diet in line. You're, you know, you're, you're figuring out your, how much your pack's going to weigh and, and, and where you're going to camp. And, I mean, all these factors go into it. So then you get out there and then, like you said, oh my God, you're, you're, you got the best plan ever. You get there and you get to the trailhead and there's 20 other vehicles there. And now the panic sets in. And, 
you know, for most guys right now, mentally, the hunt is over because mentally it is like the world has just come crashing down, but you've got to look at it like this. You make your extra plans. You have waited and dreamed about this hunt. There is no giving up. You have to make the best of whatever situation thrown at you. And you only get to do this hunt for maybe seven or 10 days. And then you go back to Ohio or you go back to Kansas or you go back to wherever you're from. So how I try to look at these hunts is when I'm there, I want to be completely immersed in the hunt. I don't want to look at a cell phone unless it's on my Onyx maps. I'm not looking at emails. I mean, you know, I'll phone home or text once a day or, or if I've got service, if not, I'll use my, my GPS that I can send a text once a day and let everyone know I'm okay. But I want to be fully immersed in these hunts. I mean, this is it, man. I've trained for this. I planned this. Like there is no turning back. And I think that's the mentality that you've got to have on these hunts is look, I put the time, the money, the effort, the, the homework, you're here. This is, you know, this is your championship round. I mean, you're, you're in this slugfest for seven or 10 days. Like you've got to have the mindset that you're going to go down swinging. If you go down, you're going down swinging, but there is no quit. There is no turning back. And I think if guys keep that in mind and you focus on, you know, the fact that you've planned this hunt and it's a hunt that you've been excited for, for five months, six months, you know, you've dreamed your whole life of going to Montana to hunt elk. Once you're there, you've got to make the most of it. And I think that's where a lot of people fall apart is Western hunting is hard. I mean, it's, it's tough and it's really tough if you don't live out there. I mean, coming from the East, like we do with only seven or 10 days to try to get it done. I mean, the odds are stacked against you. It's a tough hunt. There's no doubt about it, but you've got to have that mental mindset that you're going to push through and you're going to get it done and you're going to get a tag punch. And every day when you wake up, you've got to say, okay, today's a new day. Today might be the day. Today's going to be the day. Oh, I know today's the day. I mean, you've just got to continue to mentally push yourself through. And in the end, you're going to be happy you did because there's nothing worse than leaving a hunt and feeling like you didn't give it your all or leaving a hunt early, getting partway home like a buddy of mine did two years ago. He, he left two days early. He got part way home. And I told him, I was texting him the whole hunt. I said, dude, don't do it. Don't leave. Don't leave early. Keep grinding, grind, grind, grind. Do not leave early. You're going to, you are going to kick yourself in the rear end the rest of the year until you get back next year. Left two days early because he just was not finding the, the bulls, the bull elk he wanted left two days early. He was almost back home and he called me almost in tears because he was so mad at himself for leaving. And he regretted that until the very next year. He had to live with that for a whole year, Kristen. He had to sit and think about that. He gave up. He, he let himself down. He didn't let me down or anybody else, but he let himself down. And he's, he always says that he will never, ever, ever do that again because the self letting himself down was worse than anything he could have described because he knew how much he put into it and he just felt like he cut himself short. So if I'm going to sum it up, you know, like I said, it's that mental toughness. You, you just, you have to push through and you've got to finish what you started. And if you go down swinging, you go down swinging. I mean, Hey, it's bow hunting. You're not going to kill every time you go out. I mean, this will be my fourth year hunting mule deer. And I still haven't punched the tag on one yet. I haven't fired an arrow at one yet. Yeah, so, I but mean, this, that just, I got news for you, pal. You know, I got news for you. 
this is the year. This absolutely is the year. And when you kill it, I'll tell you something else too. It's not going to be a little one. And when you kill it, when you kill it, buddy, when you kill it, that is going to be an article that I am looking forward to reading on the pages of Peterson's Bowhunting. Because I guarantee you it is going to be an epic, epic adventure this year because oh yeah you're going to take everything you learned and here's the other thing about bow hunting you know you talk and, and as you're talking man i can just hear the passion in your voice the drive the desire you're practically bleeding through the phone line man because you just know that you want to pour every little the very marrow of your bones is seeping out you know into your hunting area because you're completely consumed by it and when you kill that mule deer this year is Every single day of every single hunt that you've done for the last three or four years since you started this quest is going to be part of your success this year. You know, I wrote I wrote my uh, column for, I think it was for the April-May issue, it was called To Be Continued. And it was all about how I had been out in Kansas last year, and this was just a whitetail yep. hunt, but the same thing, you know, this I was out there hunting, it was a rut hunt, it was an awesome hunt, and there were giant bucks everywhere. I was seeing some from my stands, but not close enough to shoot, and every time we'd check a camera, there'd be giants. I mean, Clint, I'm not just, I'm talking about 160, 170, 180 inch deer running all over the place. And I didn't end up getting a shot, and I had to go home at the end of the week. And long story short, I, I started to think about how, you know, when you set a goal for yourself in life, Clint, whether you want to, you know, when you're a kid, you think about, do I want to get married some day? You know, do I want to have children? Do I want to own a home? When you go to college and you study something, you say, I want to have a career. Uh, you know, I want to, or, or I want to own my own company, or, or, or whatever it is that you want to do in life. Would you take just seven days, or ten days, or one year, or one season? And if you didn't accomplish all those things, would you say, "Well, I'm a failure"? You know, I'm a failure. I wanted to be the CEO of the company, and 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 I'm just sitting in a cubicle. It's over. No, it takes time, doesn't it, Clint? You don't become the CEO oh, of the absolutely. company the first day. You don't meet the girl of your dreams the first day that you, you know, uh, decide that you're you're looking for that. You, you don't you don't have that house on the hill when you when you when you rent your first apartment. But you don't say you're a failure. And yet, as bow hunters, too often we we go out west and we say, "Man, I dreamed about that for five months, and I went out there for seven days, and I hiked up and down the mountain, and I heard a couple bugles. I never got an elk. Man, it was not a successful trip." And I'm like, "No, we've got to stop thinking about it that way. It was a successful yep. trip." because you saw oh, yeah. you saw scenery that you'll never see back home you yep. breathed fresh air and you got your your fat eastern ass into shape way more than you ever were going to hunting whitetails back home you learned from the failures as much as you'll learn from the success and and it's not over it's just 
to be continued, just like the rest of your life. Just because you don't get an animal killed in one year doesn't mean that the hunt is over. It just means that you have yep. to go back home and take care of some other things before you get your next opportunity. But you should not judge your success based on what you can accomplish in a very small window of time because it's an unreasonable expectation. Absolutely, and I tell people all the time, the sight, the sounds, like I wish I could take everybody with me. And when I go on these hunts and they could be in my head and see what I see, experience what I experience, because the places I go, the, the, the animals I hunt, the, the ridge lines I walk, the places I camp, the streams that I will pump water from to drink out of and then cook at night with, 99% of the population will never be where I'm at. Never. They won't see it. They won't go where I've been. And it's like, I wish I could take everybody with me on those hunts because there is so much to experience. It's not just, I mean, of course I'm out there to punch my tag. Of course, when I go on an elk hunt, I want to kill a big elk. I mean, of, of course, that's, that's your goal on a mule deer hunt is to shoot, you know, this, this big, nasty, gnarly, you know, non-typical you know, five by six within lines and, and huge mass and dark horns and blah, blah, blah. Of course that's the goal, but there's so much more. And what keeps me coming back is that thrill of adventure and that the unknown and just the whole experience with Western bow hunting has just captivated me from start to finish. And, you know, there's so many people out there that, like you said, they'll go out, they'll hunt one time and they'll go, gosh, that was no fun. I did not kill an elk. Well, well wait a second. Now, wait a minute. Did you stay out there for six or seven days and, and, and hunt and survive and make it? Well, yeah. Did you take any pictures? Oh, well, yeah, I took hundreds of pictures. Oh, look at this cool peak and look at this bald eagle I saw and look at these marmots that I got on video playing. Okay, did you, did you experience things that you never saw back in Pennsylvania or Ohio where you live? Well, yeah, look at this. Look at this thing. I, and I stop him and go, no, wait a minute. You just showed me excitedly and explained excitedly all these things but you're telling me you're not going to go back. You didn't have an, a successful hunt. Wait a minute. You were successful. You had fun and you experienced things that you've never experienced before. Okay. You didn't punch your tag. I understand that, but you can't call that hunt not successful only because you didn't kill an animal. That, that my friend is a culture that has to change because a bull hunt, should not be based on whether it's a success or failure based off of whether you put an arrow through something or not. And, and some may argue with me and say, well, that's the main goal. Okay. I understand. But in my book, and I'm sure in your book, I, well, I know it's in your book too. You cannot base success and failure in bow hunting off of only killing and not killing because it's not even fair to, to combine those two together and say that success only equals punching a tag. Because there's well, so much more that goes yeah. into it than that. Well, the other thing is, Clint, too, is there's so much that's out of your control, too. Um, oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I can say that over the years, I have had, I have had some hunts that I was like supremely prepared for, that just were like absolute debacles, and I've had other situations where I really didn't have any idea what I was doing and it just 
turned out like I came out smelling like a rose, you know, looked like a genius. Now, that's not to say that that's going to be the pattern, right? We know that you've got to be prepared. You've got to be ready. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, you you don't want to have your equipment dialed in. You don't want to be in shape. But the point is, you know, sometimes you just run into, uh, you know, things that are outside of your control, like you said earlier, you know, whether it's the weather, whether it's uh, hunting pressure, whether it's, uh, you know, maybe a fire, uh, you know, came through the oh, area. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, Last, you keep, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, oh, I was just, I was, you mentioned fire. I was going to say last year, you know, Idaho had those fires for like months and it was super smoky. It was hard to glass. I mean, you couldn't glass four and five miles with your spot and scope last year in Idaho. You were lucky to see a mile, mile and a half. And there was nothing you were going to do about that. That that's just that was just part of the hunt that year. Yeah, for sure. You know, we're almost at time, but one thing that we didn't talk about at all that I want to give you a chance to comment on is uh, what about your equipment for going out west? I think, you know, a lot of times guys think they need like all different stuff. Um, but I would say, you know, not not on the camping end. Let's not get into all that because we could have a whole show just about that. But when it comes to your just your bow and your broadheads and, and that, really anything that you have uh, that's set up for whitetail, you're going to be able to get the job done out west. You might want to consider going to some different arrows. Maybe you want to choose a different style of broadhead depending on what you're at. But, but uh, I would think that, you know, generally speaking, you know, it's not like guys need to completely reinvent the wheel. Talk real, um, you know, quickly, Clint, about any modifications that you'll make on what you're shooting for a western hunt versus what you just normally have right there around your house when you're hunting whitetail. So, yeah, so the biggest thing that I transitioned into um, is out west, you've got to deal with wind and you've got to deal with, you know, um, I'm not going to say you're you're going to beat up on your stuff, but, you know, you might strap your bow to your pack and, and walk around for eight or nine miles hiking into a new spot, or you might have to... You know, oh, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you. I yeah, I am gonna interrupt you real quick. You just made me think because as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're gonna carry your bow around so much more than you ever oh, did. Yeah. Like you're gonna carry <laughs> oh, your yeah. bow. You're gonna carry your bow more on one week long hunt out west than you will like the entire lifetime back home because we only generally we only carry our bows from the truck to the tree stand you know what i mean and a lot of times that only might be like a hundred yards you know and maybe it's a quarter mile and that's far you know generally for us whereas you get out you get out there and oh the best thing is well two things right a, a, a one of a pack that has like a little yep. carrier built in where you can strap your bow but if you want to keep your bow a little more accessible while you're moving a good bow sling with a nice padded shoulder strap is like an absolute must for me hunting out west oh yeah no doubt um for me, the biggest transition was I used to shoot quiver off, and I now shoot quiver on all the time because out west, you, you don't have time to fumble around with arrows. And, I mean, you know, so quiver on, um, I shoot a sidebar and a front stabilizer system um, just to help with a little more weight, a little more stable in the wind. And basically everything else on my bow, um, I try to make everything as foolproof and sound as possible. Um, I don't want there to be anything that could go wrong. So for example, I try to stay away from 
from plastic as much as possible. Um, I try, you know, uh, I realize some rests, some sites have it on there, but I, I really try to stay away from anything that could or possibly will break. You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys where I'd rather my bow be a little on the heavy side, but I know that the equipment that's on it is not going to let me down. Um, so, right, but you know, but I mean, you don't you don't change the arrows you shoot. You don't change broadheads no, even. Nope. What do you? I said, so, what do you shoot, Clint? What's your broadhead choice? My broad last year, the entire year outside of Idaho, I was shooting because Idaho you can't use an expandable. I was shooting the Severs, the Sever two point ones all last year. Shot um, white tails with them. Shot my antelope with them. Shot turkeys with them. Um, in Idaho, I was shooting the. Uh, the Kudu two blade, fixed, fixed broadhead. Um, I shot my total arrow setup last year was 428 grains, I do believe. This year I'm going to be up to about 440. And you kept that, and, 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 and you hunted antelope with that. Because that's on the heavy side. Like I shoot 420 grain arrows, but that's yep. a little yep. that's a little bit on the heavy side, you know. And certainly for antelope hunting, a lot of guys would say, "Oh, you you should get a light arrow, right? You're going to get more speed, a flatter trajectory." But you don't. You 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 just shot with what you had, and it was fine. You killed your antelope. Well, my my thing was is I set I set my 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 bow up for like. The big okay, so so if I'm going to go on on an elk hunt, and that's going to be the biggest animal I'm going to chase all year, I'm going to set everything up to kill an elk. Everything else is going to fall underneath that. Turkeys, whitetails, antelope. Yeah, I hear guys say all the time, "Oh man, you want a super fast setup for antelope?" Wait a second, though. Here's here's my two cents on that. An antelope is so fast; they can duck a bullet. I mean, literally, there's videos of muzzleloader bullets in slow motion, antelope ducking them because they are so weary and so fast. So realistically, if an antelope wants to duck your arrow, I don't care whether you're going 540 feet per second or you're going 260. Realistically, if he wants to duck it, he's going to duck it. I like having that weight because if you hit one in the shoulder, you hit one square in the ribs, I want to be able to punch through and take that out of the equation because I really can't take out of the equation. I can't get that bow to shoot fast enough to take out the string jumping out of the equation, but I could take out of the equation. Okay. If I do clip the shoulder or I do have to shoot a frontal shot, I know I've got enough front of center and enough kinetic energy I can punch through. So that's kind of my philosophy on arrow setup and broadhead choices. I'm going to set my bow up year to year for what's going to be the biggest animal I'm going to hunt. So like most of the years, it's going to be elk. I want a setup that is for sure going to be elk proof. I mean, I've got a heavy enough arrow with enough speed, enough trajectory, and enough front of center that I'm going to be able to punch through an elk. And then I know for a fact I'm good on whitetails, I'm good on antelope, I'm good on turkeys, I'm good on mule deer. And that's kind of how, how I set my bows up. I mean, this year I'm running two bows, and both of them are going to be in that 435 to 445 grain arrows. Um, you know, very similar arrow setups, um, very similar broadheads. You know, I mean, I, I just, I'm a firm believer in try to take out as many of the what could be's as you can. And for me, uh, uh, you know, a heavier arrow takes out more 
well, this could happen type scenarios than a lighter arrow. But like I said, that's just me. That's just that's what I'm confident with. That's well, what yeah, I like I'm, to have. That's, that's what I was going to say. Is there's it's a, one of the beautiful things about archery is that there, you oh, know, yeah. there's there's more than one way to skin the cat, and Absolutely. it doesn't it doesn't mean that that's the end all and be all. There's guys who do it differently, oh, no. and that's fine. Now I will say that you know. Uh, a heavier arrow is more forgiving than a lighter arrow. Oh, yeah. I, fi I find yeah. that a, a heavier, it's easier to tune. I find it's easier to tune a little bit yep. heavier arrow than it is a lighter because yep. it's more forgiving of little inconsistencies in your bow and in your own shooting. And another thing that I think is worth just throwing out there is like, I, just maybe because of you know being in the hunting industry and, and I'm constantly getting new gear um, when I have a bow that's like all dialed in and it's like perfect and I'm really comfortable with it one of the things that I actually have grown to hate and nobody's going to feel sorry for me but you know I have to try new gear and different things oh, on yeah. a fairly regular yep. basis I almost hate to like you know, take a rest off a bow and put a different rest on there or start yep. shooting different arrows because it's like, man, that thing is like just the perfect combination of everything, you know? And, yep. and I think, I think there's yep. something to be said for, for where you were coming from as far as like, you know, you got that bow set up, it's got that arrow that you know is going to be good for elk, but you know what, if you're shooting it lights out, and you know you can make that shots at 60, 70 yards, and and yeah, it's not quite as fast as a, if you went to a lighter arrow, but but gosh, you've got all that confidence. You've been practicing with that yep. setup all summer. Why change it up two weeks before you're you're going to go on the hunt? I mean, again, I'm not saying don't or that guys don't do that and and have success, but. At the same time, like, if it ain't broke, you know, don't fix it and keep things simple. I think for a lot of us, there's something to be said for, for keeping things simple. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like, in the world that you and I are in where we, you know, we, I mean, let's be honest, you know, every year we're going to get new bows sent to us. We're going to be shooting new bows, testing new arrows. I mean, that's that's the world and part of the beauty of, like, for you being the, the head editor and for me being, you know, one of the staff writers is it's a it's a <laughs> – it's a two bladed sword because on one end it's awesome to get all the new gear. I mean, I'm a total gearhead. I love testing gear and, and trying to find that perfect, most best combination. But then on the other side, once I find it, it's hard to sell that bow or ship that bow back and then go to the new, you know, go to the next year's model because man, what if I don't like this as much? And it's like that panic sets in of, Oh gosh, you know, I hate to sell them to get rid of this bow because, you know, I love it so much and I've had it for 10 months, but now they're sending me the new one I got to shoot this year. And so it's cool, but yet, like you said, at the same time, it like, it's stressful because you, you know, you try to find this perfect combination. And then once you find it, you feel like, oh man, the season's over and now I'm going to get a new bow and new arrows and this ship to you. And it's, I guess it's a good problem to have. I mean, most people are going to sit here and listen to us talk about this. And oh, that's it. I, I, like I, I said, I wish I had your guy's problem. Like, yeah, nobody's Christian, shut up. We, Nobody's, we wish we had that problem. <laughs> uh, it, it is true what you were saying, though. I was just talking to uh, another guy a couple weeks ago about a particular bow from like five or six years ago, and uh, yep. he said, "He said, oh man, I, I, I said, I said, I still have mine.'" 
And he said, oh, he was like, I got rid of mine. And he's like, I've, I've regretted it ever since. That was such an awesome bow. He's like, never, he's like, hold on to yours, man. I wish I had mine back. It's like, sometimes, you know, the, the next bow is not always better than the bow before. And, right. and, and, right. and uh, you know, there's something to be said for ho- holding on to that stuff. Anyways, Clint, we got to wrap it up, man. We're a little over an hour and, and, and we're not talking Western hunting anymore. But uh, as I said last time, you know, this is the Casper Chronicles part two. And uh, I imagine we'll have to get on for part three at some point. I don't know what, exactly what we're going to talk about next time, but I appreciated your well, insights on the Western hunting. We'll probably be talking next time about how Timmy came out to here to Ohio to That's... hunt with me and shot a, a 14 inch and a 15 inch long beard, one weighed you know 37 pounds, one weighed 36, but the 36 pounder had two and a quarter inch spurs. And the thirty-seven only had an inch and, and, and a half, so that's yeah. But that what one, that, about. yeah, that one was albino though, so that added it. Oh yeah, that's an added factor. That's a, yeah. yeah, we're gonna have to get. What we need to do is we need to do a part three in a short segment, and we, we need to have old uh, old Timmy come on and well, give his his insight. Maybe I'll bring my podcasting stuff when we come, that's, and maybe. Uh-huh. maybe Maybe we sit down at the old picnic table outside and just record a podcast right there live from the field. That's it. Stay tuned for that, ladies and gentlemen, because we're going to bring the man, the myth, the legend himself who puts me and Christian to shame, and that is none other than the Timmy Bird. He he will be on the next one. He's going to be telling you about how he smacked two big old longbeards here in Ohio. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be a good one. That's the world's greatest 13-year-old hunter. He'll, he'll tell you himself, Clint. So, I, hey, I, I've learned more from hunting with him three days last year than I have had in the last 10. I, I, <laughs> I'm a, I, I am a believer in Timmy Berg. There's no doubt about it. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, believe me when I tell you that the admiration is mutual. I, I hear about Clint Casper quite often. Uh, he always wants to know, uh, you know, what's going on with Clint when are we going out to Clint's? And does Clint have my buck tied up for me yet? So get, I hope right. you're I hope you're working on that. You know, it's not too early to start start scouting the deer for this fall. Oh, I've already got him tied up, and I'm pouring the minerals too, Timmy. You tell him just to hang tight. All right, brother. Well, listen, it's always a pleasure. Uh, appreciate you. Uh, appreciate what you're doing for us at the magazine. And uh, I wish you the best on those Western hunts this year, my friend. Oh, absolutely. Same to you. I'm sure we're going to be trading trophy picks come about August, September. So that, that's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. All right, man. From your lips to God's ears. Thank you for listening to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, the official podcast of hardcore bowhunters. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting on your local newsstand or check us out on the web at bowhuntingmag.com.